Hey y'all, it's Io here and welcome to episode 10 of The Nook. Thanks so much for joining me today. As always, I am here to help you by answering questions on teaching students with severe and profound disabilities, including autism. We have a great question today from Allison, but before we get to her pressing question, I want to remind you that you can have your question answered on The Nook by heading over to the website and submitting a question. If you have yours chosen on the podcast, you'll receive a free resource from the Noodle Nook store, and we have visual supports for communication and behavior, vocational training activities, and DIY task boxes, all of which were developed to support students with significant disabilities. So make sure that you submit your questions so that you can get that free resource. Head on over to Noodle Nook today to do that. All right, here's Allison's question. I have a student who wanders throughout the room, and I just don't know what to do. It's disrupting everyone around them. Help. Oof, Allison, let me tell you, I've been there. I remember it was my third or fourth year teaching, and I was working with high school students, and I ran into a fellow teacher out at the store shopping, and she came up to me, it was in the summertime, and she was like, oh my god, Io, I am sending you like the worst kid ever. And I was like, all summer vacation, hi, and this girl was coming up to me saying this, it was a little disheartening. But she kept going and she was like, this kid just is up and he's wandering throughout the room, ripping stuff off my wall. And oh my God, I can't keep anything. I'm so glad he's leaving. I'm so glad he's coming to you. And I smiled because what are you going to do? I didn't want to get into the pity party, but she made it pretty clear that I was getting a severe headache come fall. Well, fall came, just like it always does, and the student got into the classroom, and sure enough, he was up moving just all the time, moving, 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 moving. He he didn't sit still. He wouldn't work on activities for more than a minute. He just, it was just like corralling all day long, and it was definitely hard. So, Allison, I get where you're coming from. I had to solve the problem the same way you're probably going to have to, and so I've got five steps here that will walk you through how to get him to be your student, and I say him because mine was a boy, how to get your student to be space trained a little bit better. And I hate the way space training sounds because it sounds like we're talking about some animal or um, training out in outer space. It's not meant to sound that way. All we're doing is we're saying we're going to define the space for the student and help them learn how to stay in that area. So here are the five steps for you for going ahead and getting a student to understand how to use space in the classroom when it's appropriate to be up, when it's appropriate to be sitting down. So for the student, and I'm sure yours is going to be very similar, the first thing we had to do was really define the space in the classroom. This was an issue of the adults setting up the environment that would best support the student. So I'm not sure how your classroom is set up yet, but what you want to do is just define the space in your room. If there's an area of the room that's going to be where he's supposed to be sitting and working, you want to define that space. So let me give you a little more definition on how to define the space. If the space is for working, you want to make sure that everything in that area indicates work. I feel like this goes back to those uh, makeover shows from back in the 90s and 2000s. I'm sure they're still on, but I hardly ever watch TV. But remember how it was when you wanted to resell your house? They're like, oh, they walk into this room and they tell you, you really need to define the space. Is it an office? Is it a dining room? What are you using this for? It's the same idea in your classroom. If there are too many things assigned to certain areas in your room, when you're asking a student to come into that area, it's not defined. They don't know what that area is for, and so it's harder for them to stay on task while they're in the area. 
So if you're setting up zones in your classroom and you have a reading area, a work zone, a play area, you're defining all of those spaces so that what you do in that area is very clear, even to those who have not been trained on how it works. So the first thing you want to do is define the space. And that goes hand in hand with number two, which is assigning the space. So I've already talked about how some of those academic areas are going to be assigned, and you're going to define those with having appropriate materials and visuals to support students. But as you assign the space, you probably also want to have an area for break. You're assigning a space that says, if you are not going to work, this is the area that I want you to come to. And here are the options that you can do in this assigned space. So the roaming zone is not the whole classroom. And let me tell you, from chasing around students throughout my entire classroom, if you can define the space to be a few feet by a few feet as opposed to the whole room, at least then when you're corralling, it's a little less disruptive. So you want to go ahead and assign a space for break. Define it by tape on the floor or walls, bar barriers, filing cabinets, bookcases, however you want to minimize that space and then just really assign what that break area is for. Then you want to go to number three and that's grabbing some visuals. We want to have break cards, timers, first thens. We have to communicate a little bit better with our students what we want them to do, when we want them to do it, and then what they get if they do that, that task we're assigning to them. So grab some visuals, make sure that you've got those in place with the student. And then once you've defined the space in your classroom, you've assigned some space for a break, you've grabbed some really meaningful visuals, you started to pre-train what that's supposed to look like, I really want you to start with a short work break cycle. So what we actually found out with my student was that he had not been challenged very much from his previous classroom teachers. And he was actually extremely bright. I mean, crazy smart kid. And he was being given work that was severely under what his capacity was. And so instead of doing it, he whipped through it real quick, made some marks on his paper, got up and started roaming around to burn off some energy and to keep himself occupied and to keep his brain running. And it wasn't ne necessarily a negative behavior that he was doing. It was more so that he was trying to kind of stimulate himself because he wasn't getting any mental stimulation in the classroom. He, he was just passing time day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year with a teacher who thought he was incapable of doing anything more challenging. So when you're defining these work break cycles, I really want you to find tasks that are going to be something that will challenge the student, but not frustrate them. And when you build this short work break cycle, it's just to start to train what a work break cycle looks like. So a student is going to complete a task, and the task can be something very simple, something that is a part of a larger task, so even if it's more challenging, there's not a lot of problems or tasks that they have to complete in the cycle, especially in the beginning when you're trying to establish this routine. Student will complete the task, and then they get the break, and you return to this assigned break space using your visuals and your timers and your first ends to give the student the break in a way that's appropriate. And then when the break is over, they're going to come back and complete another work break cycle. So again, you've defined the space in your classrooms. We know where the work happens. We know where the break happens. We know where the other activities happen. We've assigned this break space. We're using our visuals, and we're going to start training a work break cycle. And that brings us to step number five, which is to start to stretch those work break cycles into longer periods of time of work. Not longer periods of time 
of break. So we want to take this work part of the work break cycle and stretch the work by adding more tasks, by adding complexity, by just stretching the amount of work time that a student's going to work through before they get their break. And then you can see if you really work through these five steps, you take a student who's just up and all over the place and hopefully give them some defined space that they can take their break in so that instead of being all over the place, they're in a defined space. But really they're coming back into a work cycle and either getting functional work done, vocational work done, or academic work done as they're getting these breaks built into their day. So we're giving them, our students, some mental stimulation, some um, challenging work, some skill building that they can then take with them after they leave us. So those are the five steps to define the space, assign the space, use visuals, start with a short work break cycle, and then stretch that to a longer work break cycle. And that's really how you can help a student who is all over the classroom really come back into a more traditional work cycle. I will tell you that for my student, he learned that cycle very quickly. As I mentioned, he was up and moving and destructive, not because he was necessarily having negative bad behavior, but because he was conditioned to do these behaviors by the adults around him. And by putting him into this cycle, he became a great worker. I mean, his work cycles were very long. He didn't take that many breaks. And when he did, he did them in his defined space with tasks that were completely appropriate. And by the way, his favorite was puzzles. This kid could do a puzzle in it just mind-blowing amount of time. It, it, his, his abilities just, to this day, blow my mind. Amazing kid, one of my favorites. But depending on how I looked at him coming in, especially based on the, his previous teacher's opinion of him, it could have gone much worse if we hadn't just taken this space training and work break cycle and really put it into place, or if we had just said, oh, he just is going to be that kid that roams around and breaks things. So really think about how you and your team are also looking at the student, how you're perceiving him, how you're treating them, and how much what you're doing is changing how their behavior is in the classroom. So remember our place in the behaviors of our students. So I want to thank you so much, Allison, for sending in that question. I'm going to send you out that free classroom material from the Noodle Nook store so that you can get things in your classroom going, and good luck. For those of you listening, if you want to have your question answered here on the Nook, head over to noodlenook.net and click on podcasts to submit your questions. I also want to mention one more solution for people who are teaching in autism units who are having similar problems, and that is the behavior toolkit. I know we mentioned as step three to grab those visuals, but sometimes when you're in the classroom, you don't have time to make those visuals. You don't know where to find ones that are going to be quality, and you really just need to get them going in your classroom. And I think the Behavior Toolkit is a great print-and-go way to get some visuals started, which include break cards and first-then, and it'll really give you a, a good footing to start off if you're looking for visuals that you need to work with students similar to Allison's or students in your classroom who are struggling with similar behaviors. So definitely check out the Behavior Toolkit in the Noodle Nook store. There are so many questions out there about how to be the best teacher you can be when you work with low-incident students and students with severe disabilities like autism. And we need all the great teachers we can, so stay strong and teach on. Thank you for listening to The Nook. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing now. Visit www.noodlenook.net slash podcasts for more. Bye, y'all.